Good morning, Fairfax Bible Church. My name is Matt Rumbaugh. I lead this small group that meets in Random Hills with my wife, Christy, and I serve as one of the elders. Uh, I'm delighted to be bringing you God's Word this morning as we worship together as a church family. Thank you for being with us. So uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we are working our way through the fruits of the Spirit as, de as described in Galatians chapter 5. We've done love, we've done joy, and now we come to peace. And of all the times to be talking about this word peace, we're in the middle of an election season. Political this, your Facebook is inundated with vote for this person, that person. The world doesn't feel like a very peaceful place, does it? And especially with all the events of the summer, with uh, racial injustice and the mess around this virus, everything seems like it is causing unrest, strife. What would we not give for a little bit of peace? Well, God's word actually has something to say about it. We're gonna take a look this morning. So it's pretty clear, as we've stated, that we don't live in a world of peace. In fact, four years ago, the New York Times did a really interesting experiment. We all know that we live in these things called red states or blue states. We're familiar with that. Red state are the ones that historically, maybe last 25, 30 years or so, vote Republican. The blue states are the one that traditionally, historically vote Democrat. We all understand that. Uh, but did you realize that it's not just political differences between them? Uh, the, as I said, the New York Times did this experiment. They looked at TV watching habits. Well, it turns out if you're in a blue state, you have fundamentally different interests than your fellow Americans in red states. If you live in a blue state, you are more likely, it's not strictly speaking true, it's not true of everybody, of course, but it's sort of disproportionately true that your favorite sport to watch on TV is the NBA. In a red state, your favorite state, or your favorite sport, that is, would be college football. In a blue state, your favorite show to watch is Game of Thrones. In a red state, it's Criminal Minds. In a blue state, your most common source of news is The Daily Show on Comedy Central. And in a red state, it is, yes, Fox News. And so the interesting thing is these things are pulling us apart more than they are bringing us together. My friend David French just wrote a book called Divided We Fall, and he highlights that all of these trends are actually accentuating, or accelerating, that is. That is, the differences are growing faster than the things that unite us. In fact, if you live in a, a given county around the United States, the incidence of so-called landslide counties, that is where a given candidate wins by 20% or more in election results, that's at an all-time high in the United States. So it's not even that we live in a red state or a blue state. Those red states are getting redder. Those blue states are getting bluer. So in all of that, how do you and I live as people of peace? What is peace? And what would it look like for us to bear the fruit of peace that Paul describes in Galatians? We're going to look at what the Word of God says about that. Well, the word peace itself, in Greek that word is erene. But the more common use in the Bible is actually in the Hebrew, and that word is shalom. You may have heard that word. In our small group, uh, we've been using that word for a few years. In fact, the guys in my small group are probably giggling a little bit to themselves. Because in our prayer time and accountability time, the most common question we ask each other is shalom in the home? Question mark. Do you have shalom in the home? Is there peace in your household? Well, the word in English often means absence of war or conflict. And in the Bible, it certainly means that. But the meaning goes a little bit deeper. Instead of just absence of conflict, there's room for something better. It's the idea that something is restored to wholeness or completeness. 
Let me give you a couple examples in scripture. In Job chapter 5 verse 24, uh, the writer there says, You shall know that your tent is at peace, shalom, there's our word, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. So the idea is if you're Job or a, a big landowner, you go outside, you count your sheep, one, two, three, four, five, 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 and you have every single one that you're supposed to have. Your flock is complete. You are at shalom because your possessions your, are whole. They're complete. You're missing nothing. This reminds me of, uh, you know, I'm a dad. Many of you probably do something similar to this, but at night before I go to bed, I check all the doors in my house to make sure that they're locked. I make sure the lights are off if I'm the last one. So before I finish my day, I make sure that things in my house are whole or complete. The idea of peace, though, goes a little bit different. It's not just that something is restored, whole or complete, but it's whole or complete so that it can serve its intended purpose. There's a great example in First um, uh, Kings 9.25. Let me read this to you real quickly. This is about Solomon, and it's after he's finished building the temple. It says, Three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. So Solomon has finished the temple. It is whole and it's complete, and it's a place where he can make peace offerings. The temple is not just whole or complete. It is that way so that it can serve its intended purpose. So I thought of an example that helps me understand this idea of something being whole or complete so it can serve its intended purpose. Let me show you. This is my wife's food processor. Maybe you have something like this at home. So we, we use this to like chop nuts or things, make sauces and spreads and whatnot. You might have something like this. So I've got two pieces here. I've got this one where the motor is, and then I've got this one where the container is. This is actually three pieces. I learned you have to do this a certain way. So I've got, this is the blade, as you can see. So this has to go on, and it's got to be like this, and then this goes in, and then I have to put the lid on. All right, so now these different pieces have come together they're whole, they're complete, and it can serve its intended purpose. Let's see if I did it right. I did! I did. Yeah, so only when the thing is made whole or complete can it serve its intended purpose. That's biblical peace, and that's what we're looking for. So something that's whole, it's complete, it's been restored. What does that sound like? Yeah, it sounds like Jesus, right? Jesus is our peace. He makes us whole and complete. He restores us so that we can serve our intended purpose. Let's read together uh, from the book of Ephesians. It's another one of Paul's letters, and let's see some of the ways that Jesus does this. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul here is writing to a church in Ephesus. It's a city in the western part of what we now call Turkey. It was a commercial port. It was a very, very large, important economic center. It was very diverse. You have Jewish people. You have Greek people. You have other Gentiles. You have rich people. You have poor people. You have high-status people. You have low-status people, including, yes, slaves. And an issue here and in all the other churches that Paul uh, visits is how do you take these diverse group of peoples 
and put them together as one family in the household of God? Do you keep the Jewish law? Do you not keep the law? Do you keep going to pagan ceremonies or do you not do that? Do you incorporate those into your worship practices? Paul's addressing these things, not just in Ephesians, but in other books in the New Testament as well. It's a key issue in the New Testament. And Paul's saying, hey, for all these differences we have, if you are consumed with those things, you don't have your eye on the ball. Because for all our differences, what we have in common in Jesus is much more important than the things that divide us. He is more than enough. Let me give you two big thoughts. I know Jeff usually has the big idea. I have two sort of big-ish ideas for you this morning. Number one is, first, Jesus brings us peace by making us whole with the Father. You see, my problem here is that I am separated. I am not whole with the God the Father because of my sin. Look at what he says there in the verse here. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, and that's me, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here he's alluding to the sacrificial system in the temple. Because I cannot stand or approach a holy God because of my sin, an innocent animal would be slaughtered, sacrificed before him, so that I could come into his presence. But Paul here is saying, we don't have to do that anymore. Jesus shed his blood as a sacrifice for my sin and yours so that you and I can be made whole and complete, that we can have peace with the Father so that we can worship him and be in fellowship with him and we can pray to him without an intermediary. Jesus makes us whole by paying that payment for sin that you and I cannot do. And because God is satisfied with the payment of blood of Jesus, I can be made whole. I can be restored. I can have peace with God, and you can too. We can have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. We are whole. We are complete. We can serve our intended purpose, which is to worship him and be in fellowship with him and enjoy him forever. And as Jeff described last week, this should be a source of great joy and confidence for us. But wait, it gets better. I feel like I'm in one of those infomercials that you maybe see late at night. You know, it slices, it dices, it does this. But wait, there's more. Can you imagine it gets better than being made right, right with God? But Jesus brings us peace by making us whole with each other. You see, historically, Jews and Gentiles could not worship together. In fact, Paul alludes to this right there in the text. Let's look at it again real quick. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Right there, he's making a reference to this series of walls around the temple area in Jerusalem that would actually have language on them that marked the spot that Gentiles could not go past. You see, Jewish people and Gentile people did not interact that much, certainly not in a contest like this. Jews would have considered Gentiles unclean, uncouth, the other. They were not holy. They could not come into the presence of God. And Gentiles thought Jews were a little bit weird. They have weird rules about food you can eat. They have weird rules about where you can worship. You can't just worship at the the corner temple. You have to actually go to Jerusalem. And and who would do that? And even if you wanted to worship the, the Hebrew God, the Jewish God, you get there and you can't go past this wall. There's a wall of hostility there. And Paul's saying here that Jesus has broken down that wall. Any score that needs to be settled has been settled 
settled in Jesus. Any uh, difference that we have compares to what Jesus has done for us in bringing us together. Whatever reconciliation needs to happen has happened in Jesus. He is not just our payment for sin so that we can know the Father. He is payment for sin so that we can know and be in fellowship with each other. He makes us one. He makes us whole and complete so that we can serve our intended purpose. And Paul keeps going with this word picture. Later at, at the end of the chapter, he says, uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. For in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, you and I are the temple of God. You and I are the place where the world should see the presence of God, where his spirit dwells. You and I together form a new temple, and we are the ones where people experience God's presence, God's glory, God's power. The church, you and me together, we get to do this. We are where God's presence. We are a new temple. That's what Jesus did for us by making us one. Now, Paul is not naive about what's going on here. He's not naive about how difficult this is, how challenging this is. I mean, you and I live in a culture with a lot of differences, right? They did too. But he's not asking them to run away from them or ignore them or minimize, or minimize them at all. In fact, he's asking them to run to it. He expects there to be conflict and disagreement, but he expects them to work through that. He's not shy about asking them to dive into it. He doesn't see this as an obstacle. He sees it as an opportunity. Uh, one of my favorite artists is uh, the band U2. You probably know them. And uh, one of their real popular songs is called One. And in that, uh, Bono, the, the singer and the writer of the song, he's always been a little bit vague about what that song is about. But there's one part that he makes pains to be clear about. That's in the chorus. The chorus goes, we're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. Bono says when he hears other people sing that song, they often sing, we've got to carry each other. And he corrects them. He says, no, it's not we've got to carry each other. It's we get to carry each other. You see, if we say we've got to carry each other, it sort of implies that this is a burden, that this is a, a, an obstacle, that this is something that I have to do, that you are a problem I somehow have to mitigate. And Bono says that's not true at all. You're not a problem for me. We may be different and we may have some things that we have to wrestle through and struggle together with, but we get to do this. You see, you, even in our church, you might look differently than I do. Maybe you would wear a different shirt. Maybe you have different interests or issues that are important to you. Maybe you're going to vote differently than I do. Um, lots, of, lots of ways that we're different, right? These aren't a bug. They're a feature. They're what God wants to do among us. You are not a burden that I have to tolerate. You are a brother and sister in Christ that I treasure. I get to be in the family of God with you. I get to be a part of this church with you. I get to be with you in small group. I get to worship with you. I get to pray with you. I get to sing with you and cry with you and serve with you. I get to do this. We get to do this together. It, it's how we're, we're whole, we're complete, and we can serve our intended purpose because of what Jesus has done for us. And a watching world should look at us and see something absolutely crazy. In a world that is going bananas over differences, they should see a people that, that don't have anything else in common other than this person, Jesus, but that is more than enough. You know, just to, to see that all of that stuff is sort of priced in and they work their way through it in peace and humility, reconciling with each other and, and their differences actually make them better. They don't tear them apart. That's the vision of the church that Paul's painting here. And I think God would have that for you and me. 
So how do we live as people of peace? What should the fruit of peace look like among us? Let me offer a few thoughts. First, we should be active in offering people the chance to be restored to God through sharing our faith, the opportunity to be made whole or complete in Him. If only Jesus can offer real peace, then you and I should be sharing His name and giving the people uh, giving people the chance to say yes to Him with every opportunity we have. Think about the video we saw this morning. Think about just the simple steps that Brian and Tasha did to reach out to their friends, to share Jesus with them, with their friends Alex and Nani, and look at the fruit that that has borne, and that's continuing to be born in that. Look what a, a small seed of faith, look at what it has grown into and what the potential for it to grow into. We should be making peace among people that don't know Jesus. He's the only hope for real peace, for wholeness or completeness. And we owe it to our friends and neighbors to do that. So are you praying for your friends, neighbors, coworkers, people in your carpool, uh, people around you? Are you looking for opportunities to speak peace to them, to share the name of Jesus, to give the great hope of wholeness and completeness to them? If not, I'd encourage you to pray about that and just take one step. Maybe it's that neighbor and you've been thinking about knocking on their door. Do it today. Or maybe sometime this week, maybe it's uh, somebody at work and you've been thinking that you'd love to bring up spiritual things and talk with them about Jesus. Ask them to lunch this week. See what happens. Small steps, but they have such a huge payoff and there's such an opportunity for peace in doing this. Second one, we should be active in maintaining peace and unity with each other. In fact, Paul goes on in Ephesians to give us some guidance in this. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 with me. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Now, peace does not mean just rolling over or capitulating every time some disagreement comes up. In fact, peace can sometimes mean stepping into those things. If I see a brother or sister who's in sin, I make peace by calling that out to them and saying, hey, I, I see something in your life that might need to be corrected here. Can I walk with you through this? But I do so in humility, in a spirit of reconciliation, with the idea that I'm trying to take something broken and make it whole through the power of the Holy Spirit. I do so in the name of Jesus, not in some self-righteous provocation. I'm speaking the truth in love, looking to make peace with my friend or brother in Christ. Now, a third thing that we should be doing is we should be active in taking God's peace to broken people and systems in, in our community. We should have our eyes open to things in our community that aren't right and that need God's peace. Maybe it's broken families, widows, orphans. We should have our eyes open for those people and looking for opportunities to serve them and taking care of them. I've been so encouraged by some of our, our church family who are looking to take in people out of the foster system, both current fosters and people who have aged out of the foster system but still need a little help and support. Maybe there's an opportunity for you in that. Uh, we should be looking at broken systems, the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable, unborn, the homeless, victims of domestic abuse. We actually at our church have partnerships with organizations that serve these groups. So if you can't think of a, a way to get involved with these things or you don't know anybody in that area, check with your small group leader. Look for an opportunity to maybe plug in with one of these organizations. They can point you to somebody who desperately needs some peace and I bet you can be a help to them. Another one is broken communities, the idea of racial reconciliation. You know, maybe you eat lunch with the same group of people every day and they all kind of look like you and do the same things that you do. Do you have opportunities? Maybe it's your neighbors, again, coworkers, something like that, people who look different, maybe dress different. 
uh, but you could be going out to them. What a powerful story it would be if in our church and our community, we show the world what healthy friendships and what peaceful community looks like by doing that. So in all these things, let me just ask you a simple question. Are my actions in any one of these items, whether it's uh, sharing my faith, whether it's uh, peace in our church, whether it's peace in our community, when I think about how I handle my social media or uh, interactions with family and friends, when I think about uh, maybe the signs that are in my front yard, am I moving toward peace or am I moving toward brokenness? Am I helping things get better whole, complete, so it can serve its intended purpose? Or am I causing division and strife? Am I, pre am I preventing wholeness and completeness? If your answer is, oh, man, I think I'm making things worse. Well, humbly I would ask you, stop, repent, turn around, think about what you're doing. Maybe turn around and say, okay, maybe you need to even work with your small group leader or a friend to say, hey, I, I think I'm going the wrong direction here. Can you help me get turned around here? I want to make things better, not worse. If your answer is neutral, eh, I'm not doing, eh, well, again, that's not great. If you're not, some of these things, if you're not part of the solution, then you are part of the problem. So think about somebody you can be sharing your faith with. Think about somebody in the church you can be restored with or a, a situation that you can help make better. If your answer is neutral, again, Repent, turn. Let's be looking for ways to bring peace to people that need it. We want to be made whole. We want to be made complete. We want to serve our intended purpose. We want that for ourselves and our families. We want that for our church community. We want that for our community at large. We want to be people speaking peace. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So we want to be that for the people around us. My prayer for our church is that by the will of the Father, through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be those peacemakers. Our world desperately needs it. Uh, my, my prayer is that he will bear the fruit of peace in us and reap a rich harvest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of praise and glory and honor. You are awesome. And God, your work is more than enough to, to bring us together and to offer peace and hope to a dying world. God, would you make us people of peace? God, would you make us mindful of your command to be peacemakers, to go out into a world that is broken and seek to make it right and whole and complete in you so that it can serve its intended purpose, which is to bring you glory. God, hear our prayer, listen, consider our request, and would you work this and bear this fruit among us. In Jesus' name, amen.